Well, good morning, everyone. Again, thank you so much for joining us for worship. Uh, My name is Dagny. I'm the pastor of traditional worship and congregational care here at Calvary. Um, And whether you've joined us here in the room, in the worship center, or you're joining us over in our chapel or our Minnetonka campus, uh, or if you're joining us online from anywhere else in the world, we're just so grateful that you have joined us today and that we have the opportunity to come together and worship God uh, as one body. So thanks for being here. Uh, We're in the middle of our Advent sermon series called The Weight of Christmas, and so far we have used examples like waiting for marriage and waiting for the birth of a child to highlight how God calls us to wait with action and with intentionality and with peace, and today we're going to discover what it means when we are called to wait with confidence and with joy. Going on almost 10 years ago, uh, my mom and I started to get really into quilts. We would go shopping for antique quilts. We went to several quilt auctions. Uh, We always made sure to see the quilts at the state fair. And we even had a pretty hysterical run-in at a museum in Virginia where they had beautiful quilts displayed up on the walls. And separately, at different times on our own, both my mother and I set off the alarms because we put our faces too close to the quilts to see the stitching. (laughs) Uh, Well, in the midst of this growing love of quilts, my mom decided that for Christmas that year, she was going to make me a quilt. She picked out all the fabric, made all the intricate cuts and stitches, and had every intention for it to be completed by Christmas morning. But of course, as happens so often, especially with very intricate projects, it wasn't quite ready by then. And so on Christmas morning, I opened the not-quite-finished quilt and squealed with joy. I was so excited. It was beautiful, and I couldn't wait for it to be finished so that I could put it to use right away. Cut to Advent 2023, and I still ask my mom every year if this is the year that the quilt will be finished. (laughs) I think about that quilt this time every year, not just because it's a not yet completed Christmas gift, but because it always makes me think about the phrase, I can't wait. I say those words probably every single day, and I doubt that I'm alone in that. I can't wait to snuggle up in that quilt. I can't wait for things like my wedding day or for the trips that I have planned I say it about concerts that I'm planning to attend, gifts that I'm excited to both give and receive. But I think the time in my life when I said I can't wait the most was probably when I was a senior in college, waiting eagerly and desperately for graduation. See, I struggled a little bit during my senior year. Academically, I was doing pretty well, but I struggled with my friendships and my relationships Things all around me seemed to slowly be crumbling and falling apart, and I decided that I had had enough. I just didn't want to be there anymore. I was deeply exhausted. I didn't really feel like myself. I was poised and ready to launch into the world, and yet I had to sit tight and wait for the day to actually arrive that I could break free and move forward. It made me squirmy and anxious. I was itching to move on, but stuck where I was. And that waiting and that incredible amount of tension made me miserable because I wasn't just waiting for the next chapter. 
I was waiting for something I knew was going to be better. I tell these stories today because Advent is the time of year where we are reminded that not only are there countless seasons of waiting in our lives, seasons of excitement and of tension and even impatience or frustration, but Advent reminds us that we too are awaiting a completion of sorts. Not only do we experience seasons of earthly waiting, but Advent rightfully highlights that ultimately, as followers of Christ, we are waiting for the return of our Lord and for the completion of all things. We are waiting for something we know is going to be better. As we make our way to Christmas, we remember the story of God's people who waited for hundreds of years for the Messiah, the one who would save and rescue and redeem all of mankind. And of course, we remember that Jesus was born. He dwelt among us and lived as one of us. And then he died for each of us and rose again to save us. We no longer await that first coming. Instead, now we look toward the promised day when Christ will come again, when he will return, when the future of God's reign will finally and completely break into our world of brokenness and sin once and for all. Advent is the yearly reminder that we are yet waiting for all things to reach their fulfillment. And although we may not know when and we may not know how, we have been promised that that day is coming. But just like the tension we feel in any season of waiting, there is a great tension in Advent. You see, as believers, we have been made new and have been washed clean. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new is here. When we accept and follow Christ, we are dead to ourselves and alive in him, miraculously saved and spared. When we accept Christ into our hearts, an immeasurable shift takes place and the Holy Spirit sets up shop in our hearts and that is incredible news. And yet I know I am not the only person who doesn't feel complete, who doesn't feel whole most of the time. We're still broken and sinful. The very real newness that has begun within us has not yet been made complete. And that creates tension. This tension of being already made new, but not yet made complete. The tension of seeing God's fingerprints already all over this world, but seeing a world not yet at peace. The tension of living in the here and now while knowing that completion is on its way, that something better is on its way. It's hard to live in that tension, in the tension of being a work in progress. 2 Corinthians 5.2 that we heard earlier in the service says that our souls groan and long for the completion of God's kingdom. As Christians, we are citizens of God's kingdom. Our souls exist in tension because we are poised and ready for that leap into completion. 
There is tension and there is longing to break free into our full potential when the day of the Lord finally comes. And while we wait, we so often let ourselves become impatient and frustrated, checked out and distant, and sometimes it even makes us miserable because waiting and longing for something better is hard. We can't wait. The Apostle Paul, in his many letters, also looks to the day of the Lord, just like we do during Advent. But in his letter to the Philippians, Paul demonstrates an incredible amount of joy in this tension. Not frustration or misery, but a deep and overflowing joy. And it's important to understand why. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or the Bible app on your phone, let's turn together to Philippians and we'll be right at the beginning in chapter 1. Now Paul had a very close and loving relationship with the church in Philippi. So close that when they learned that Paul was in prison in Rome, where this letter is written from, they sent him both physical and spiritual aid. And so as a response, Paul writes to them recalling the incredible beginnings of their church and of the powerful work that God had done there and that he was still doing there. Even though he was in prison, awaiting trial and potential execution, Paul's letter is filled with an immeasurable amount of joy and gratitude. Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, although Paul was being persecuted, waiting for a sentence to be handed down, he is moved to joy because he knows one thing for sure. He says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Paul knows that God's work is unfinished, unfinished in his own life, unfinished in the Philippian church, and unfinished in the world. And he also knows that God is faithful to bring it all to completion. In other words, Paul reminds them and us that the good news of the gospel isn't just that God's not done. Frankly, in and of itself, that doesn't sound like very good news. I can think of countless things that I have started but left unfinished and have no intention of going back and completing. But what Paul says is that the good news of the gospel is that God's not done yet, that he will finish, that he is faithful to complete his work, that he won't leave us hanging or unfinished on the shelf. He says, he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. See, even in the midst of all the trials of Paul's life, the multiple times in prison, the many shipwrecks, the illnesses, the thorn in his side— Even in the midst of all these trials, Paul clings to his confidence in Christ alone. His confidence in Christ does not waver. And from 
that overflow of confidence in the completion of all things comes Paul's joy, even while he waits. Confidence in God's completion of all things leads to joyful waiting. Anytime I read Paul's letter to the Philippians, I wonder what it would look like if that's how we responded while we face hardships in our own life. Or what it would look like if that's how we approached our seasons of waiting and longing, whether it's for graduation or for war to end or for a child to come home and brokenness to be mended or even waiting on the return of Christ. What if when we notice those loose ends in our lives and in the world, instead of turning inward on ourselves or making excuses that lead us to despair and frustration and distance from God, instead of crying out the words, I can't wait, what if we clung harder and closer to Jesus and the confidence that God will not leave things unfinished? If Paul's example shows us anything, it's that that shift leads to great and abundant joy. What we learn from Paul's life is that the circumstances we find ourselves in, the things that we are deeply waiting for and longing for, don't have to deter our joy because joy doesn't come from us. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit, listed second in Paul's letter to the Galatians where he lists the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is given by the Spirit. It is an overflow of the gift of life and confidence in Christ. Joy is not attached to the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but to the work of God. Joy isn't about looking on the bright side or keeping our chin up. Rather, it comes from a deep and rooted confidence in the one who started the good work and who will bring it to completion. Joy follows when we are truly convinced of and confident in God's faithfulness. Joy comes in the deep persuasion that a new day is coming and that in spite of what is happening all around us, God is at work to finish what he started in the world and what he started in you and what he started in me. I think that gives a whole new understanding to the verse from Nehemiah that we see quoted so often, which says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The overflow of confidence in God, that is my strength. Even while I wait on him to move. I think that sounds amazing. An overflow of confidence in Christ produces joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I want that. I want my faith and my confidence in God's completion to be in overflow and in abundance in my life. But so often I have no idea how to get there. I wonder how to grow in my confidence while I am waiting, while I am frustrated, and maybe even while I've given up hope a little bit. Well, if we pay close attention to the opening verses of Philippians, we can actually learn a lot from Paul's example. And in verses 3 through 11, we can actually see 
three extremely helpful clues or ways to grow in confidence in the good news that God is not done yet. First, Paul says that he gives thanks in remembering. In verse three, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. It's one thing to simply remember. Paul could have easily said, I remember you and I think about you all the time. And remembering is important, but what Paul demonstrates in this letter is that the key is to remember those things for which we are thankful to God. Paul could have easily and understandably focused on remembering only the trials and the hardships that he faced. And when it comes to the Philippian church, he could have chosen to only remember being imprisoned and beaten when he first arrived there. He could have dwelled on the problems of the people's lives or on the fact that they were still a work in progress. But instead, Paul chose to remember how God had been at work in and through the Philippians from the very beginning, and he chose to be thankful. Too often in our own lives, the memories that we play over and over in our minds and in our hearts are the ones that highlight the deep brokenness around us and within us. Too often we fail to remember the things for which we are grateful, the things that God has already done in our lives. And instead only focus on the things for which we are ashamed or the things we're frustrated about or that we're angered by. Now this certainly doesn't mean to just look the other way or forget when things in our personal lives or in our communities are broken and need to be made right. But if the memories that most frequently fill our hearts and our minds are remembered with gratitude and thanksgiving to God, confidence in his faithfulness, and therefore joy, will no doubt grow. Second, we see that Paul prays. Paul makes it known that he is constantly praying for the people of Philippi. He makes petitions for them, countless prayers and requests on behalf of these people, all for their benefit and for their growth in the life that Jesus has for them. And in verse 9, Paul says, This is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul prays that these people, his friends, would grow deeper and wider in their love. But not only that, he prays that this love would make them more like Jesus and that it would give them a deeper and fuller understanding of what truly matters. He prays for them to live authentically and sincerely in the way of Christ for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God. See, what Paul lovingly demonstrates here is that a posture of prayer for others is crucial in order for true confidence and therefore true joy to abound in our lives. I wonder how much more often Christians and the church today would be known for our confidence and our joy in the Lord if the world saw us praying for each other much more than it saw us arguing with each other. 
If we prayed for one another like Paul prayed for the Philippians, prayers for love and knowledge and a fullness of insight. That kind of prayer is powerful in building assurance in God's character and plan. And that kind of prayer makes way for the fruit of joy to flourish. Finally, Paul participates in Christian fellowship. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word for sharing that Paul uses here speaks to an intimate and authentic coming together in the life and work of Jesus. And in coming together, in that sharing and participating that happened by spending time together and offering support to one another, Paul experienced God's grace, which cultivates confidence in God's faithfulness, which activates joy. Paul experienced God's presence in the authentic connection that he had with this group of faithful people. We see in this story, as well as countless others throughout scripture, that there is no doubt that sharing in life together, a sharing that includes physical and emotional support and connection, provides deep nourishment for the confidence and joy that abounded in Paul's life, even as he faced hardship. And I'm convinced that this kind of fellowship of coming together and praying for one another and supporting each other through life's ups and downs is crucial for us as we pursue a life of joyfully waiting on the Lord. I think it's easy for us to come up with a multitude of reasons not to participate in Christian life together or not to allow ourselves to be encouraged or uplifted by one another and to try to go it alone. Perhaps we think we're too far behind or we believe that we are still too much of a work in progress, but Paul's life and ministry is a testament to the reality that neglecting the pursuit of God's faithfulness together may very well mean missing out on joy altogether. See, each of these things, thankfully remembering, praying for one another, and joining together in Christian fellowship and love, this is how we can grow in confidence and assurance of God's faithfulness every single day. And it is from that confidence and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we are able to find joy in the waiting, whether it's waiting to spring forward into the next chapter of our lives in any kind of graduation, waiting for our health to be restored, waiting for a breakthrough in our relationship, waiting for the return of Christ, or even waiting for a Christmas quilt to be finished. Advent reminds us that God's not finished yet. We have been promised that he will complete what he started in each one of us. He began a good work. His son was born and dwelt among us, and then he died for our sins and rose triumphant over death. 
And it is because of that reality that we have been changed and we have been made new. But we are not at the end of the story. We are still waiting. I can't help but wonder what my senior year would have looked like if instead of letting the tension of waiting devour me, if I had let it fuel me and drive me to pursue confidence and joy in the Lord. I wonder too what it would take for each one of us in our church and in our community and even in our world to take a page out of Paul's book and to demonstrate joy in the tension to grow in confidence through joyfully giving thanks in remembering, through joyful participation in life together and joyful prayer for one another. We so often say the phrase, I can't wait, when we're frustrated or when we're anxious or even when we're excited for something. We're we're certainly going to hear that phrase a lot in the next few days and weeks as we prepare for our Christmas celebrations. But Advent is a time to be reminded that the seasons of waiting and of tension are not without purpose. That we are called to wait on the Lord well and to do so with action and with peace and with confidence and joy. And so the question and the challenge this morning is what would it take? What would it look like for each one of us to shift our mindset from I can't wait to I joyfully and I confidently wait? God isn't finished yet. And in this season, Paul's witness to us is that the fruit of joy can be abundant even while we wait. And that confidence in God's completion leads to joyful waiting, no matter the circumstance. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning so aware of the tension in the waiting. As we move through this season of Advent, we are being reminded of our longing for you. And God, thank you that you are a faithful God and that you are worthy of our confidence. And God, even as we wait in different seasons of our lives and as we wait to be made whole, strengthen us with your joy. Fill us with the joy of your spirit. Strengthen us to pursue a life clinging to you, confident that you are who you say you are and sure that you will bring all things to completion. Lord, give us wisdom and patience as we wait for you. And God, thank you for Paul's example and testimony, for for his example of assurance and trust and joy, even as he faced terrible hardship. Help us to also be assured of your goodness and your faithfulness. And most of all, God, this morning, we thank you for the arrival and the victory of your son. As we await the celebration of his birth, remind us that the story isn't over yet. And be with us as we joyfully await his return. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.